Hey there, I'm Lauren Hicks, pastor of Pacific Christian Center in Santa Maria, California. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. It's my prayer that this message strengthens your faith and draws you closer to God. Now enjoy today's message. As we sing this song today, I'm reminded that around the world on this Sunday, in hundreds and maybe thousands of languages, people are doing what we're doing right here. They are saying, you are worthy of it all. You deserve the glory. You deserve the praise. And that's amazing, and that's exciting. But there's another exciting day coming. Revelation chapter 7 tells us that one day, Around the throne of God, we will be gathered together, every tribe, every people group, every language, and together in unison, we will worship and praise our God. And guess what? He understands every language. Amen? He understands. He created them all. He understands every language. He is worthy of the glory. You may be seated as you do. Let's say thank you to Pastor Moses and our team today. Thank you, guys. God bless you. God bless you. Let's get right to the Word of God this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 21, if you have a Bible with you, or maybe you have a Bible app on your smartphone, 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where we'll read Scripture in just a moment. I want to say welcome everyone, so happy to have you with us this morning at Pacific Christian. If you're new here, if you're a guest, welcome home. There's a place for you here, we want you to know that. For those of you watching online, thank you for tuning in today. If you're local, we'd love for you to come in person, come be with us. Maybe you've never attended a service live on campus here. We'd love to have you, love to invite you and your family to come and be with us here. A couple things I want to mention to you today, August the 7th, Sunday, August the 7th, that's in two weeks, we're having water baptism. And so out at the Connection Center, if you are ready to take that next step and be baptized in water, there's a place for you to sign up. There's information for you there. There's a brochure about that. We'd love to assist you as you make that public declaration of your faith and following Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. I also want to just give special recognition to an amazing couple in our church this week who had their 65th wedding anniversary. Leroy and Dorothy, would you stand real quick in the back? I'm embarrassing them, but would you stand? Give them a hand. Give them a hand. 65 years of marriage. 65 years this past Wednesday. I asked them before service, what is the secret to 65 years? How many of you like to know the secret? I mean, you just got to go to somebody that's been married 65 years and ask them, what is the secret? And Dorothy said, you got to put everything in God's hands. And Leroy said, you got to learn to say, yes, dear. That's it. So that's the secret, everybody. And that's the recipe. Love and appreciate you, Leroy and Dorothy. Thank you for the blessing that you are uh, to this body of believers, to this church family. Happy that you're here today. I'd like to share for a few moments from Scripture a message that I've titled, Refining a Man After God's Own Heart refining a man after God's own heart. David was called in Scripture, the man after God's own heart. One of the things I love about God is that He's never finished working in our lives. We never reach a place where God says, I've done all I can do with that. (laughs) We never reach that point, and I'm so thankful because 
In my life, as I look back over my life, I think there's been some moments where God could have said, I've done all I can do with that. Uh, I'm finished working there in your life. But God never gives up on us. Aren't you thankful for that? He never gives up on us. There's always something more God wants to do, something more he wants to teach us. There's always something that he wants to do. And here's what I believe about all of us today, that there are things that God wants to do in our lives that we're not even aware of yet. There are opportunities that God's going to bring your way. There are places of ministry. There are things that God wants to do and ways that God wants to use your life that you're not even aware of yet. There are open doors that are going to be open for you that you don't even know about now and would surprise you if you knew about them. The Lord in his sovereignty does not reveal his whole plan for our lives all at once. And he does that out of kindness. It, can you imagine if the Lord gave you your whole plan of your life, all the good and all the bad and all the bumps in the road and all the difficulties of the road? We couldn't handle it, could we? And so God in his wisdom and in his kindness reveals his will and his plan to us step by step. There are things that are coming for you and I, and this is exciting to me, that we don't even know about yet. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're not ready yet. You're not ready. The reason those doors have not opened, the reason the, that God hasn't brought you to that place is simply because you and I are not ready yet. We are always in a season of preparation for what the Lord has next for our life. God wants us to grow. Before he opens those doors, before he gives us those opportunities, there is some growth that needs to occur in our hearts and our lives. Your faith needs to grow. Your character still needs to be refined. Uh, there are things and ways in which you need to grow in your skills and in your giftings. There are lessons to be learned. But you can be sure of this. When the time is right, God will open the door. When the time is right. I've seen this in my own life. Linda and I, Linda and I were talking about this yesterday. Right out of Bible college, fresh out of Bible college, I thought I knew everything. I thought I was ready to you know, storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. I thought I was ready, you know, to take on the world and tell everybody about Jesus. And thought, I thought I, I knew it all. And God had opened a door for Linda and I to serve as youth pastors at a wonderful church in the city of Columbia, Missouri. And it was a great church. And uh, it's a church that God was moving in this church. And we had the opportunity to serve full-time as youth pastors, and that came with a salary. It also came with a house out of Parsons. The church owned five houses. Uh, in addition to their campus, the church owned five houses for their staff members. So we had salary, and we had housing, and we had health insurance, and it was at that location that Linda and I, uh, we had our first child when we were at ministry at, at this location. It was a wonderful opportunity and a great place to serve, and I worked with a great pastor. When we went there, I was 23 years old, and he was 78. And it was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for me to learn from a man of God who'd served his whole life and in the work and service of the Lord. But one Saturday, he called me over to his office and he said, Lauren, just want to give you some news. I want you to be aware of what's about to happen. He said, my wife and I have talked and we have decided to retire. In fact, we put a date on the calendar. We've already told the church board we're going to 
retire. And he said, you know, that's going to have an impact um, in your life. And you're going to have to talk with the church board. You're going to have to decide, you know, are you staying here in ministry? And what about the next pastor? And does the next pastor want you to stay and all this? So, you know, I went home that day just really, uh, you know, just unsure of what the Lord had next for us. And so Linda and I began to pray. We began to seek the Lord. And I felt in my heart that I should be the next pastor of that church. You know, as a youth pastor, I, I saw lots of things that I thought needed to change in that church. As a youth pastor, I thought there was lots of things that the church could be doing that they weren't doing. And there was some things we could do and some ways in which the church could modernize and the way we could maybe we could be more effective. And so we prayed and I worked on my resume and submitted that resume uh, to the church board. And we began to pray and ask the Lord to, if it was his will to open the door. But I remember a conversation, I was in my little office as a youth pastor and knocked at the door and one of the church board members came and said, Lord, I'd like to talk to you. And he came in and sat down in my office and he handed me back my resume. He said, I just want you to know that at this time the board will not be considering you as a candidate for our senior pastor position. And he said these words, we don't believe you are ready yet. I didn't like those words, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, because I didn't know what that meant for my future, and I went home a bit frustrated that day because I thought I was ready for that church. But here's the truth. Here's what I know now all these many years later. The board member, the church deacon, was absolutely right. I was not ready to take on that position. And so the Lord then opened a door for me that I was ready for. God moved our family about a 12-hour drive south to West Texas to a little town called Cisco, Texas. It's a town of about 3,000 people to a little Assemblies of God church that was on its last leg that only had two members left. God said, Lauren, that's about what I think you can do. This, this is about what I think you can handle. If you show me that you can shepherd these two people, Ivan Page, 88 years old, and Moselle Phillips, 71 years old at the time, who are the last two remaining members of that church, if you can handle this, we might see about giving you another opportunity. It was absolutely the will of God for us to go. I'm so thankful today. I'm so thankful God sent me to this little dying church I experienced the Lord in ways I've never experienced him before. I learned lessons at that church I would have never learned before. I, I, I saw God move in ways that I didn't know God could move. That time of my life was invaluable. Every place that I've ever been in ministry, I've asked God to give me a love for that community. I, I know, I've seen pastors sometimes, they don't even live in the community that they pastor. I don't understand that because I believe that God not only calls a pastor to, to love a church, he calls a pastor to love a community. And he calls a pastor not only to pastor a group of believers, but he calls him to pastor a town. And I will say to you, by the way, God, when I moved to Santa Maria, I asked God to give me a love for this community. And I can honestly say he has done that. I love Santa Maria so much. I can honestly tell you that. I love it so much. And I, if you ask Linda, I tell her that all the time. We're driving around yesterday. We went to have lunch in Orchid, went and had a sandwich, and we got back in the car. I said, I love this town. I love this community. And the Lord put it in my heart. I know that it's God-given. And this is, for me, this is my favorite place I've ever lived in all my life, even where I grew up and where I was raised. I love this community. I know God has called me. I know God has called me here. But when I went to Cisco... To pastor the church of two people in a little broken down church building, God gave me that same love for that town. 
And while we were there, I knocked almost every door in that town, knocking on doors, inviting people to church, and telling them that we're here. And I, I remember people would say, you're the pastor, the new pastor of what church? And I said, Cisco, First Assembly of God. And they're like, oh, their eyes would get me like, oh, okay, you're the pastor of that, that, that church, that kind of thing. But we had nothing. We had absolutely nothing. When we went there, the church had $200 in the bank account. In fact, I borrowed money to pay for my movie expenses just to get there. You see, I never have thought that uh, I'm something. I never thought that I was deserving. I never thought that I was big stuff or that I had to have all this or that. I never thought I had to have a big salary or have to have insurance or I have to have this or that or a home. All I just said was when God spoke to my heart in an altar, I said, God, I'll go where you want me to go and I'll do what you want me to do and I'll say what you want me to say. Give me an opportunity. That's all I've asked of the Lord is to give me an opportunity. And I was so excited to be at that church with two people. And for weeks and for months and for months and for months, as Linda and I served in that community and tried to reach people for Christ, week after week, I preached to six people. And then I preached to eight people. And then 12 people. And then 15 people. And then we preached to 20 people. And then we preached to 25 people. And then we preached to 35 people. Then we preached to 45 people. One at a time, we reached people in that community for Jesus. But the Lord spoke to me there and I was really questioning at first, God, how come you won't open this door of opportunity for me to pastor this nice church in Columbia, Missouri that has 200 people and a nice parsonage and a gymnasium and a preschool and wonderful ministry. How come, Lord, at 25, you won't let me pastor that church? And this is what the Lord said. He said, Lord, let me teach you about faith. Let me teach you to depend on me. Let me show you that when you have nothing, I am all you need. Let me show you that I can do miracles. I I wish I had time to tell you today the miracles that the Lord did in our little church. God would speak to my heart. He would say, Lord, you need to grow in your wisdom. You need to grow in your skills. Let me develop in you a shepherd's heart and love for a community. Today we are in a series, a message series on the life of David. So far in this series we have learned that David, as a young boy, the youngest of eight sons to a man named Jesse, that Samuel, the prophet, was called by God to anoint and to pour the oil, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, to anoint young David to be the next king of Israel. We then learned that God used young David to kill Goliath, the Philistine champion of war. And we learned in that message that we too need to face our own giants. And the last week, Pastor Linda preached a message on David's waiting period. And what we need to learn in the waiting, and that when we call to wait on God, that's not wasted time. If God makes us wait, there's a reason for the waiting. By the way, didn't she do a great job last week, everybody? What a great message. We learned last week that according to Josephus, the first century historian, that there is a 20-year period of time between David's anointing and his appointing. 20-year period of time between the day that Samuel poured the oil over him and said, you're going to be the next king, until the day that he took the throne. 20 years of waiting. And we get asked the question, why, God? Why? Why did you wait so long? If you already have your man, why can't David just go ahead and be king? I mean, God knows this is the man. He's selected who he wants to be on the throne. Why not now? Why wait 20 years? And that is an excellent question. Here's the answer. Before David could ascend to the throne of Israel, his character needed refining. 
before David could assume the throne and all of that weight and responsibility, his character needed refining. There was some things that David needed to learn. A process of spiritual growth was necessary and God would use some difficult circumstances in David's life to teach him that God was more than enough. Have you learned that lesson in your life that God is not just enough, he's more than enough. Have you learned that? And in the same way, God will use the circumstances of our lives to teach us that he is faithful and that he is sufficient. As we read this story today, we're going to read in chapter 21 in just a moment. We were in chapter 16 and chapter 17, and for the sake of time, we're not going to go chapter by chapter, but let me just give you a short synopsis of chapters 18 and 19 and 20. Because of his victory over Goliath, King Saul puts David in charge of his army. David led this army into battle time after time again, and they were successful because the Bible says the Lord was with David. And in Israel, David becomes very popular. David was famous. Everyone knew David's name. He was even more popular than King Saul. In fact, the Bible tells us that one day, some women were singing and dancing in the streets and they are celebrating Israel's success. And the lyric of their song said these words, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul overhears these words and the Bible says it makes him very angry. David at this point has everything going for him. He's a rising star. He is a success at what he does. But suddenly, it seems, one at a time, the things that bring David earthly success and confidence and security begin to leave him. Now, David had done nothing wrong at this point, but we begin to see the hand of God at work in David's refinement. In chapters 18 through 21, David begins to lose some of the things that he treasures, he loses many of the things that are important to him. His position as the commander of the army. He is separated from his parents. He is separated from his wife. He is separated from his mentor, the prophet Samuel, and even his best friend, Jonathan. And we find in our text today that even David begins to lose some of his self-respect. There's an old saying that says, after the blessing comes the testing. David reaches a point where he has nothing to depend on but God. David is a man after God's own heart. But let me ask you, how do you stay that way? How do you stay a man after God's own heart? You have to have a healthy dependency on God. David cannot become king because there are some lessons that he has not yet learned. 1 Samuel chapter 21, if you have your Bible with me, and I believe we have the Scripture's on the screen as well today, but let's look at this chapter together. We'll read just chapter 21 this morning. Pick up the story. The Bible says, David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. This is the high priest. And Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered Ahimelech, the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now, I want to just stop real quick and tell you something. What David just said in this verse of Scripture is a lie. 
David is on the run from King Saul. King Saul has not sent him on some secret mission. So David is telling a lie to the high priest of Israel. Verse 3, he says, now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. We discover the reason that David goes to Nam and has a conversation with the high priest. Verse 4 says, the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy even on missions that are not holy. How much so more today? David's just, you know, continuing with this story. Verse 6, so the priest gave him the consecrated bread since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot, by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there. This is key. Lotus verse 7. One of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any weapon because the king's mission was urgent. And the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And David said, whoa, there's no sword like that one. Give that one to me. Verse 10, something very strange happens. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Notice this. So he pretends to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. And Achish said to his servants, look at the man, he is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Aren't we stocked up on crazy already? You have to bring this guy to me. We'll, we'll stop there. Let's talk about this. David is a fugitive. He's alone and he's hungry. And he comes to the village of Nob, home to 85 priests of God and home to the high priest Ahimelech. And David is desperate. You need to see that in this story. David is desperate and he feels that he is without options. And Ahimelech, the high priest, asks David, and the Bible says he trembles. He's like, mm, I'm not sure what's going on with David here. And he, he's a little afraid. He's unsure. So he asks David why he's alone. And David answers, the king has sent me on a secret mission and no one is to know about it. It was a lie. David is on the run from King Saul. He is not conducting a secret mission for the king. He must have sounded convincing, though, because the answer satisfies the priest. And David lies because he is desperate. He needs food. He's hungry. And he also needs a weapon. And the priests provide both for David. But in verse 7, there is a little fact that we might... As we're reading our, if you read this on a Tuesday morning in your personal devotions, you probably would just skip over verse 7 and not give it much thought. But there's something important here. There was a third person in Nob that day who saw this little transaction between Ahimelech and David. It was a man who knew who David was. And he knew that David was telling a lie. His name was Doeg, the Edomite. He was Saul's head shepherd. He saw David and David saw him. And when he saw Ahimelech give David the bread, 
Something will happen as a result of this. There will be a consequence. And we'll hear more from Doeg, the Edomite, in just a moment. With bread in his stomach and Goliath's sword on his belt, David takes off again. But now he has a decision to make. Where will David go? After all, he has an entire army that is chasing him down. The land is small. Those of you that have been to Israel, you understand the land is small. Eventually you start running out of hiding places. Where could he possibly go? Where would he be saved from King Saul? How can you hide from an entire army that is chasing you? David is separated from his family, from his wife. He's lost everything that is comfortable. He's lost everything that is familiar. He's a man on the run and he's desperate. It was fear that drove David to Nob. Fear that led him to ask Ahimelech for food. Fear that drove him to take Goliath's sword. And now fear leads him to do the strangest thing that he's ever done. David goes to Gath. Gath. Haven't we heard that name somewhere before? Gath. Gath is in Philistine territory. This means David is now no longer in Israel. Gath is the hometown of Goliath. David has now fled for refuge to the enemy's camp. He must have been thinking, this is the last place on earth that King Saul will look for me. Perhaps he thinks that if he has a conversation with King Achish, the Philistine king, he'll understand. I mean, after all, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So now he's down in Gath with Goliath's people. The man of God is hiding in the enemy camp. Remember, this is the man after God's own heart. And it's here in the story that I want to talk back to the text. It's here in the story that I want to have a conversation with David. We have the benefit of knowing as we read through the story what's going to happen here. But don't you want to appeal to David's heart in this moment? He must have felt so desperate. It's here that I want to say, David, where is your faith? It wasn't that long ago that with courage and the power of the Holy Spirit, you walked into that valley of Elah and you took on Goliath. You were victorious and you were successful. Where is that courage? He's more afraid of Saul than he is of Goliath. But it gets worse. David is an old man. I mean, after all, he killed their champion. Why he thought he could hide in Gath, we don't know. David can't hide his true identity. And so when he's called out, he, he has a moment, he has to make a decision. What am I, because I, I, I'm by myself in enemy territory. They're going to come after me. They're, they're going to want to kill me. And so David decides in that moment to pretend to act insane. And he starts scratching at the door of the gate. Like, let me in, Arr, scratching. And he's letting the saliva run down off his beard like he's lost his mind this is the man who won the greatest military battle in israel's history the victory over goliath and now he's acting like a madman he's acting like he is insane look at him that's the next king look at him we don't have time to read it today but in chapter 22 let me tell you what happens The Bible tells us that David finds a hiding place in the cave of Adullam. Not only is David there, the Bible says that 400 men join him there, people who are also fugitives, people who are in debt, who can't pay or don't want to pay, outlaws, scoundrels. 
a motley crew comes and joins David in the cave. And David becomes their leader. But we learn also in chapter 22. Remember chapter 21, verse 7, we hear that when he, David goes to Nob and has this conversation with Ahimelech, the high priest, there was another man there, Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. Doeg goes and finds King Saul, and he reveals what happens. And King Saul goes and finds Ahimelech and calls him in. He says, what have you done? What have you done that you're helping my enemy? You're giving aid to my enemy. What do you think you're doing, giving, giving aid and giving help to the enemies of Israel, giving enemy to, to the king? What do you think you're doing? And King Saul, in his jealousy and his envy and his fury and his rage, commands his soldiers to kill Ahimelech. And they're afraid. These soldiers are afraid to kill the high priest. And so the king Saul turns to Doeg and he says, you do it. You kill him. And Doeg the Edomite not only kills Ahimelech, the high priest, but the 85 priests of God in Nob, the Bible says also he killed their wives, their children, the entire town of, of Nob, and also the cattle, the sheep, and the donkeys. Consequences of one little lie. The consequences of a lie. David's lie resulted in terrible consequences. And I want to remind you today that when we step out of, outside of God's will for our lives, there can be consequences. Now, David fails in this story, and that's not the last time he's going to fail, but God does not give up on him. And thankfully, God does not give up on us when we fail. Can somebody say amen? Aren't you thankful God is not... He does not, and God is gracious, and God forgives us when we fail and forgives us of our sins. But how many of you know that even though we are forgiven of our sins and our failure, that there can still be earthly consequences to our sin and our mistakes in this life? We take matters into our own hands. It's a terrible story. Yet, yet, I want you to see, God is not finished with David. And through all these difficulties, God is at work in David's life, shaping him to be the next king. Have you ever noticed that we seem to grow the most through adversity? Have you noticed that in your life? The times in which you learn more about God, the times in which you really dug into God, the times when you got into that altar and sought God, and the times that you began to pursue the Lord, your faith is sharpened and you're growing, your relationship with God. It seems to be not the good times, we love the good times, but it's the hard times, the difficult times, and everybody has hard times, everybody has difficult times. You remember that time in your life when you were sick and you saw how God could heal. And you remember that time in your life when you didn't have, you couldn't hardly put food on the table, but you learned not only, not only does the Bible say God's a provider, but you saw it happen in your life because God came through and He provided and He made a way. And you've seen it through all the adversity, through the challenges of life. It's in those times that we learn. The school of suffering is an excellent institution of higher learning. I wish it was some other way. I wish it was some other way. But there are, if you're taking notes today, some lessons that we learn from David's refinement. And we learn that sometimes a season of refining is required, before, required by God before we can fulfill the next part of God's plan. See, so why isn't God opening that door for me? Why don't I get my chance? When am I going to get my moment? When am I going to get the stage? When do I get to walk through that door? When, when is that going to happen for my life? How come it happened for them, but it hasn't happened for me yet? It just might be that God has you in a season of refinement because you're not ready for that yet. So don't waste, as Pastor Linda said last week, don't waste the waiting. 
The waiting can continue longer. I mean, if we don't learn our lesson in the waiting, God can extend the waiting period, and none of us want that. So let's learn the lessons that we are to learn. We need to learn how to trust God at hard times. We need our character refined. We need to understand that integrity matters, not just in the big things, but in the small things. We need to learn to be grateful. Sometimes we need our faith to grow. Sometimes we need to learn to develop a prayer life or how to serve others. In the New Testament, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8 and 28 and 29, which chapter 28, by the way, is some of you, it's one of your favorite verses of scripture in the Bible. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him, for who have been called according to his purpose. And that has kind of become sadly a flippant verse that we just throw out when somebody's going through a hard time. We may say, hey, don't worry about it. You know, all things work together for good, right? Can I just say that? Don't do that. Don't do that. All right. Just don't, don't say that. Too. That's not helpful when you're hurting and you're going through something and we might wonder what is the good it's not good according to me or how I define good or you or how you define good all things work together for good verse 29 tells us what the good is he says for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son the good is what is good according to God that you and I would be conformed to the image of his son. So let me tell you what Romans chapter 8 verse 28, 29 mean. It means that God will take everything that happens in our lives, the good and the bad, and use it as a tool to conform us to the image of Jesus, to help us be more like Jesus. That's what it means. Sometimes a season of refining is required before we can fulfill the next part of God's plan. Second in the story, I see that God will often remove our crutches to help us learn that our faith must be firmly planted in Him. You know what a crutch is? You know what a crutch is? A crutch is something you lean on. It's something that you trust will keep you from falling. A crutch can get you through a hard time, but a crutch was never meant to be permanent in our lives. Can you bring me those crutches real quick? Rick. Give Rick a hand, everybody. I had a friend loan me some crutches today. We're all familiar with crutches. If I, if I break my ankle, you're going to see me come home from the hospital with a, a crutch. And you say, oh, Lauren, that's too bad that you... You broke your ankle, and you'd understand why I'm wearing the crutch, and you realize that it might take six weeks or so for my ankle to heal. And for six weeks or so, you're going to see me with it all wrapped up, or maybe it's in a cast, and you're going to see me getting around this way. But you know that it's not the doctor's plan for me to keep using these crutches for the rest of my life. In fact, if you see me using these crutches three years later, you know something's wrong. <laughs> a crutch was never meant to be a permanent part of God's plan in our lives. And what I've seen over the years is that God can often remove those crutches as a tool to teach us that we can't lean on anything else, but we're to lean on the Lord. And you know that you have a crutch in your life when you begin to say things like, I don't know what I would do without, or I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have this or that in my life. And you know, a crutch could be anything. A crutch could be a relationship. It could be your popularity, it could be a, p a position or reputation or finances or your health. It could be a lot of different things. God doesn't want us to lean on anything. God didn't want David to lean on Samuel or on his wife or on his father Jesse or on anything else but to totally lean on the Lord. The danger here is that these crutches can sometimes take the place of God in our lives. 
And instead of our trusting God, we place our trust in people and things. And can I tell you, friends, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. When we put other things before God, when we trust other things more than God, when we're looking to the things of this world to uphold us and to sustain us and to give us what we need instead of God, that is idolatry. And God in His mercy and His love for us will strip that idolatry out of our lives and will remove our crutches so that we learn, sometimes the hard way, that we have to trust God. We have to depend upon Him and our security must completely be in Him because everything else is temporary. David is now on the run He's hiding in caves. He's afraid for his life. Everything he's leaned on, everything he's trusted is now gone. Inwardly, he must have been questioning. It must have been such a difficult place. He must have been asking, God, what is going on? How is it anointed? I didn't ask for this. I didn't seek for this. I didn't put in an application to be the king. You came knocking on my door. I was watching the sheep. I was content doing that. You called me to be the king. And now I'm being hunted like an animal. The king and his entire army is searching after me. What is happening? Yet, yet, through all this difficulty, listen church, through all this difficulty, David is learning. Through all this difficulty, he's learning. He's learning to worship in the hard times. Can you worship when it's hard? Everybody can worship when it's good. Can you worship with tears coming down your face? Can you worship and say, God, you're all I have, but you're all I need. Can you do that? David is learning that though he feels alone, he is not truly alone. God is with him. He's learning to listen for the voice of God during times of disappointment and discouragement. He's learning that God is his source. God is his provider and protector. The man after God's own heart is being refined because he is being prepared for his purpose. And I believe I just believe that that's true for many of us here in this room today. We are being refined because God is preparing us for his purpose. A couple other things before we close. In fact, the team can come. God never requires our sin to accomplish his purpose. Can I say that again? God never requires our sin to accomplish his purpose. David did not have to lie to the high priest. It was not necessary. He was taking matters into his own hands. It's never right to do wrong. God never requires our sin in any way to accomplish his purpose. If your decision requires that you violate God's truth in any way, then your decision is not God's will for your life. David felt like he was out of options. But friends, God never runs out of options. Maybe you're here today and you feel like I'm at the end of my rope. I don't see any way out because just because you can't see it doesn't mean there's not a way out. God never runs out of options. God never looks down at us and scratches his head and says, boy, I've never seen that before. Let's call the council of the angels. Let's have a meeting. Let's decide, is there anything we can do for Lauren? Is there anything? I don't think there is. God never does that, does he? David could have told the truth. He could have returned to the prophet Samuel. He could have trusted that God would provide. Don't you believe that the God that provided food for the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness would have provided food for David? Don't you believe that? Compromising our biblical convictions is always a decision that we will regret. 
some of us in this room, we look back over our lives, some of the things we regret is that we compromised our biblical convictions. Finally today, we close with this. True security is only found in Jesus. True security is only found in Jesus. Your security is not in the stock market. If the stock market bottomed out and we had another Great Depression, we still have God. I stopped looking at my retirement account because it keeps keeps going down. I just put it in God's hands. It doesn't matter how high gas prices get. We still have God. David reached a point where he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. He finally turned it around, didn't he? True security is only found in God. David made decisions out of desperation. Friend, let's don't make that same mistake in our lives. No matter how many friends you have or how much money you have in the bank, without Jesus, you have no security. Today, maybe you are in a season of refinement. Maybe God is shaping you. Maybe he is molding you because you are being prepared for his purpose. That there's a door that God's about to open an opportunity that the Lord's about to bring your way that you don't even know about yet. God's getting you ready for that moment. I'd like you to turn as we close to Psalm chapter 27. I have been in Psalm chapter 27 for the entire month of July. Every morning, I just felt the Lord direct me to spend a whole month in one chapter. And every morning, Linda will tell you, she'll come in there, she'll see my Bible open and my journal there, and I'm writing, journaling from verse, verse to verse through chapter 27. But it was in my study in the last couple of weeks for this message that I learned that many Bible scholars believe that it was at the cave of Adullam that David wrote Psalm 27. And I thought, oh, that's amazing because I've been in Psalm 27, so it's a good time. So let's read what the Lord's doing in David's life, okay, as he's going through all these difficult experiences. Psalm chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foe. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Amen.
It appears to me David is learning something. It appears to me he's learning something through all these circumstances. Will you, as we stand together, will you learn through your adversity? Will you learn through the trials, the suffering, the difficulties? Will you learn the lessons that God has for you to learn? God's preparing us. He has a purpose. He has a plan. Let's let the will of God be performed in our lives. So today, let's lift our hands in this room and say, Jesus, shape me and mold me. Make me what you want me to be. Refine my character. Teach me, Lord. Help me to see and to observe and to hear and to learn all that you have for me, Lord. I don't want to miss the lessons that I need to learn in this moment. And I look forward with joy to the opportunity and the open door that's coming before me so that my life can fulfill your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Special thanks to those of you who give so generously to make this ministry possible. If God has put it on your heart to give, please visit our website at pacificchristian.net. And if you enjoyed today's message, please consider subscribing, sharing with your friends on social media, and giving us a rating in iTunes. This will enable us to expand our reach and share the message of Christ with more people. Until next time, God bless you.